seen it, because if not, it's like a major spoiler. Um, almost to the extent that I would tell you uh, to go away so that you could watch it for the exam. Um, so has everyone seen it? Okay, good. Because um, it was on latte, it was easy. It was good. Um, all right. Um, so I hope you liked it. I hope you thought it was amazing. Um, it's uh, generally, although not universally, regarded as one of the great movies of all time. John Ford, the director, is generally and universally regarded as one of the great directors of all time. The quote um, that's remembered from the movie, the quote, the iconic quote for the movie is um, print the legend. Um, that is the when the um, editor at the very end decides not to um, tell the story that Rance has told him about what really happened in the past. Um, we, we've been talking about MacGuffins in this class and one of the um, really interesting ideas you could you could say about the man who shot Liberty Valance, one of the um, ways that unexpectedly, in the most unexpected manner possible, a MacGuffin comes up, is it's only in the last 10 minutes of the movie that you understand what the title means. Um, throughout most of the movie, you think you know what the title means, um, and it's only at the end that you realize that you were wrong about who the man who shot Liberty Valance was. Um, and that's a really interesting um, way for the title to interact with the film. Um, and the way we can see it interacting with the film, the way it makes sense for its interacting with the film, is that in a sense you discover that there's a MacGuffin at the end. The thing that you think was not an issue, who shot Liberty Valance, um, like who killed Cock Robin, the famous um, old song slash ballad, um, you think you know who that is and it turns out that you don't. And um, when you find out who it is, um, that changes a lot, that changes everything. It certainly changes your sense of Donovan. Lily, is your hand up? Okay. Um, and um, Print the Legend is, this is the West, um, when the legend becomes fact, print the legend. Um, that is a um, really interestingly um, deep and ambiguous quotation. Um, it's, there's a reason that it's famous, which is that it's Ford, John Ford's commentary, you could say, on his own work. Ford was one of the people responsible for the great American Westerns. Um, the great American Westerns and Ford are all ambiguous in their moral um, character and characteristic, and especially Ford's use of John Wayne. Um, is always an ambiguous usage. Um, John Wayne um, became famous, um, really hit stardom, hit major stardom in Stagecoach, which is one of Ford's first sound movies, um, and which was uh, about 25 years earlier. Um, and John Wayne was in Ford movies basically until the end of Ford's life and close to the end of John Wayne's life. They were very close friends. Ford was probably in some ways an even closer friend to Woody Strode. Do people know who he is in the movie? He's Pompey. Um, and he and Ford were extremely close um, and um, in fact roomed together for a long time. Woody in Toy Story 
is named after Woody Strode. Um, the reason Woody in Toy Story has that name um, is a kind of nod to Woody Strode. Um, so, um, and part of what's, what's happening in this movie is that the idea of the West as a legendary time, a time of a kind of ambiguous heroism um, on the parts of the cowboys, on the parts of the expanding white population, um, the expanding um, population from the East um, taking over Native American territory, um, taking over through Manifest Destiny um, more and more and larger and larger tracts of the United States. Part of that is these were ambiguous people who did it. Um, their heroism was and is an ambiguous heroism. Um, it's not what makes them heroic in a Ford movie, is that they're doing something that isn't clearly good. Um, these are not good cowboys versus evil Indians, as in the more, most entertaining at the time, the most popular at the time, um, cowboy and Indian movies. These are ambiguous cowboys, ambiguous um, white people, ambiguous um, people who are on the side either of the United States of America or of the Confederate States of America in The Searchers, which may be Ford's greatest movie. How many people have seen that? Um, it's, it's often um, on the top of the list of greatest movies of all time. Um, I don't think it quite is, but it's really, really good. Um, that's John Wayne, who also is the star, and he plays um, someone who was in the Confederate Army who reappears um, at the beginning of the movie, a couple of years after the Civil War is over, and we don't know whether he's a murderer or not, and we don't know whether um, he is going to murder the person, the MacGuffin of that movie, who's played by Natalie Wood. We don't know whether he's going to murder her or not. And the truth is, he doesn't know. And the ambiguity of his character um, is really, really quite extraordinary. And what Ford is doing with that character is really, really quite extraordinary. Um, and he is racist, and that's something that Ford um, is very explicitly putting into his movies. That is, the racism of some of his characters are part of what you have to cope with in thinking about those characters. In this movie, it's clear that Ford, at least, you can argue about this, and it would obviously be totally legitimate um, to argue about it, but in this movie, at least, um, Ford is portraying Donovan as not racist, as Pompey is his best friend in the same way that the actor who plays Pompey is Ford's best friend, or one of Ford's best friends. Um, and that is one of the things that Ford is not dodging as so many other um, um, progressivist Whig histories of American U.S. expansionism do dodge it. Um, one of the things that happens at the very end, well, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pose this as a question, actually, um, when we look at the scenes. 
Um, but the idea of printing the legend is that, yeah, there is a legendary West, and the legendary West is one in which um, people like Donovan and like Pompey um, and like Liberty Valance um, are part of a past that people like Rance Stoddart and the um, other Easterners who are bringing law to lawless territory um, are overcoming. That is, that the legend is the triumph of civilization over barbarism. And that's what legends always are in all cultures. The legends are how things were um, violent, but how eventually violence was overcome through a social contract, through mutual respect among the winners in winner's history. Legends are winner's history. Um, and the winners here are the, um, the expanding Easterners who are bringing the rule of law to the chaos of the West. Um, and for Ford, that really is a legend, and a legend that he has, has an ambivalent relationship to. Um, a legend that he thinks is in some ways really important historically. It's important for cultures to have their legends. It's important for nations to have their legends. But on the other hand, it's also important um, to understand that what's being printed is a legend, that the truth um, is nothing like the legend. And um, this movie is very much about that. The title, The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance, is a legendary title at the start and then becomes the truth at the end when we find out who that man is, but then it becomes a legend again. Um, if, again, if you think about it, the reason Rance does not want to be nominated is he thinks he's a murderer. And the idea would be then that that the legend is he's the man who shot Liberty Valance, but the legend is also that that doesn't make him a murderer, that he um, did something good by putting down violence in shooting Liberty Valance, who is an evil person, um, and that therefore he's not a murderer. The truth is, there are two truths. One truth is, had he shot Liberty Valance, he would have been a murderer. And the other truth is, it was by accident that he was not the man who shot Liberty Valance. Not that he would have succeeded, he wouldn't. Um, Liberty Valance would have murdered him. But um, that the man who did shoot Liberty Valance regarded himself as a murderer. He didn't care that much. He didn't care the way Rance would that he was a murderer. He cared somewhat. Um, but he didn't, he didn't have the same view of the um, intolerability of yourself to yourself if you murder someone that Rance did. He didn't regard himself as um, intolerably evil as Rance did. He regarded himself as tolerably evil. So a murder was required as is often the case in legends again, the murder of Abel by Cain. Um, a murder was required in order to establish civilization. This goes back to the Oresteia, the establishment, for those of you who know, the establishment of Athens in the tale of, that Aeschylus tells in the Oresteia requires Orestes 
to murder his mother justly but unjustly, um, to murder his mother, to kill his mother. And it is that killing which eventually leads to the establishment of Athens um, as the law is brought to bear on Orestes and brought to bear fairly on Orestes. Ford is telling a very similar story. Um, that is, um, it's a story that Freud discusses in um, a whack bird but also somewhat interesting way in his great book Totem and Taboo. Um, the establishment of civilization over um, a kind of um, necessary murder and then a necessary repentance over that murder. And Ford um, is giving one version of that in The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance. This is where founding legends come from. Um, I think it's, it's a brilliant movie expositionally. It's brilliant. Uh, it's, it's a completely beautiful movie. And the bigger the screen you can see it on, the better. Um, Ford, um, Ford's cinematic eye, he's what's sometimes called a, a one-eyed direct, director, which is he is always thinking photographically. He's always thinking of what things are going to look like compositionally on the screen. When he directs, he closes an eye so that he can see the 2D um, effect of what he's looking at. The movie is really, really beautiful, um, really, really beautifully composed. Um, and um, it's really, really brilliant that way. It's also really, really brilliant expositionally. Um, what is the main um, way that exposition occurs in The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance? What's the first two-syllable compound word that might occur to you? A spondy? Starting with F, ending with K, it's like Scrabble. Flashback. That's what it would be, flashback. I know you were all about to say it, right? Yes. Yes? Oh, well. Sorry? How a story is told. So um, when you're reading narrative, I mean, exposition, in a way, is one of the things we've been talking about throughout. When you're reading a narrative, um, the simplest way of doing a narrative is to say, I'm going to tell you the story of um, how the dog found its master. The dog was trotting down the street. Suddenly, its master's smell came to it. It followed the smell, and there was his master, and they were both happy. The end. So, so you got a happy story today. Um, and in that case, there's nothing tricky about telling the story. Um, the person, the omniscient narrator, is telling you a story where the omniscient narrator just tells you the facts one after another um, in ways that are always relevant to what's going to happen. And there's no place where you have to figure anything out. You can be perfectly passive in understanding what happened because someone is telling you this, then this, then this, the end. Um, drama and um, film it's much harder to tell stories with drama and film unless you have voiceover. Um, but if, if you've seen any Charlie Kaufman movies, you know voiceover is the worst way to tell a story. Um, and the reason that voiceover is the worst way to tell the story is that voiceover is actually just showing you pictures while it gives you a narrative. Um, the way film works and the way drama works is we have to figure out what's going on from the way characters are interacting. 
Um, and figuring out what's going on means partly that there isn't, although again, in cheesy movies you will always get this, there isn't an introduction saying how things were in the past. A long time ago in a galaxy far away, that's cheese. Um, and, um, okay, so you need it for Star Wars, and it also becomes a little bit of a joke in Star Wars, or it's five-year mission to seek out new life and new civilizations to boldly go where no one has gone before. Um, all of that is giving you background that a really good um, exposition won't give you. Um, so how do movies and plays do it? Well, we talked about this a little bit. For one um, thing, there's the crucial and absolutely important figure of the window character. And what a window character is, is um, a figure like at the very beginning of King Lear, um, like Kent talking to Gloucester, or like Gloucester talking to Kent, saying, um, um, I thought the king had more affected Albany than Cornwall. Um, so did it always seem to us, but in the division of the kingdom, it appears not which of the dukes he values most. Um, you have a conversation where two people are giving each other information. And we are eavesdropping on that information. And because they're talking to each other, each is telling the other something that he doesn't know. Um, that's a very, very minor version of it, but each is telling the other something that he doesn't know, and we are getting both halves of that and putting them together in a whole. So through naturalistic dialogue, and it's a hard thing to do if you take a screenwriting class, it's one of the first things you'll learn to have to try to do. Um, through naturalistic dialogue, the dialogue has to be artfully written so we can figure out what people are talking about without their saying to each other, you know, it might be fun right now for us to tell the story to each other of how we got here, even though we know that story. You know, what a really cheesy um, dialogue might be. Well, it's, it's those phone dialogues where the phone rings and someone picks up the phone and says, hello, who is this, John? My son, John? Oh, that's so cool. My younger son, John. Okay, neat. Oh, you're in town. You're not away at college, where you're a sophomore, right? <laughs> where you're taking that amazing class, English 1A. Yeah, you've always told me how much you love that class. I really like the way you told me last night when we were on the phone how... So that's the worst kind of exposition imaginable. Um, and um, it's the repetitive phone call where you're, where you're simply repeating or allegedly repeating what the person on the other side is saying. Um, waiting for Godot, in a way, is the exact opposite of that. Waiting for Godot almost completely refuses the expositional quality of dialogue the quality of dialogue where you can put together a backstory on the basis of pieces of a puzzle where each piece is um, perfectly reasonable within conversation as what someone would say to someone else, but we in the audience can see how those pieces fit together. So it's, it's not that the characters are fitting the pieces together, it's the characters who are simply speaking, but we in the audience can fit the pieces together. What Beckett does in Waiting for Godot is he gives you, as far as backstory goes, about 10 pieces of a thousand piece puzzle. 
So you can't put the backstory together. We can know a little bit about the backstory. We can know that Dee Dee and Gogo have known each other for 40 or 50 years. We can know that they're waiting for Godot. We can know that um, um, Gogo was beaten the night before because he tells Dee Dee that, Dee Dee being a window character at that point, what happened to you? They beat me. Okay, so we get that information. So exposition is how something tells us a story without saying, now it's time to tell you the facts that you need to know. Um, there is uh, one moment in The Violent Bear It Away where O'Connor's narrator says, if Raber had put his arm around um, Tarwater at that moment, um, things would have come out right. That's the one sentence where the narrator gives you a purely expositional sentence. Do people remember that sentence? Um, it's kind of heartbreaking. Um, he gives you, she gives you a purely expositional sentence for how the story could have gone, but didn't. Um, and so there the narrator is speaking with absolute omniscience, but speaking with absolute omniscience, um, telling you absolutely what would happen, not what did happen. Yeah? When is it? Um, when, after he um, chases um, Tarwater down to the, um, to the Revivalist Church um, and brings him back home, and then um, he could have shown him some affection. There are a couple of other moments like that, but that's one where the narrator explicitly says it. Um, the only one in the book where the narrator explicitly says what could have happened um, but didn't. And there's no way, or almost no way in a novel, that you can say what could have happened except telling the audience what could have happened. Free and um, omniscient narration gives you a lot more telling than showing. Well, maybe that's just the way to say it, that exposition is showing, not telling. Um, and omniscient narrators tell, they don't show. Um, or they do a lot more telling than showing. Um, there's probably no way to show that things would have been all right um, in um, 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 Violent Bear It Away. Um, and um, that's O'Connor's point, that she can tell what would have been all right, um, but it wasn't. So she can tell you, and she can only tell you because it doesn't happen. And therefore, there's nothing to show. There's only telling. So voiceover in movies is um, telling rather than showing. Um, but movies are particularly good at the interaction of telling and showing through um, voiceover because as is a general, not an absolute rule, as those of you who've watched The Usual Suspects know, but The Usual Suspects um, breaks a rule and only works because it's breaking a rule that is nearly absolute within, within fictional movies. Um, the same is true, if some of you have seen it, of Rashomon. Um, Kurosawa, um, the director of Rashomon, and Ford were actually really good friends. Um, Kurosawa really admired Ford, who was slightly older than he was. Um, and they influenced each other very strongly. Rashomon tells the same story um, from the points of view of eight different characters, including the murdered person. Um, and the story is actually not the same story. 
but it's in flashback each time, and the flashbacks are inconsistent with each other. Nevertheless, in movies, we have a right to believe, this is an almost unbreakable rule, that flashback, that seeing what happened, rather than hearing someone say what happened, is something we can believe. That seeing is believing in movies, whereas speaking, when characters tell you what happened, that isn't believing. When they tell you what happened, it's more believing, however, than they tell each other what happened. When they tell each other what happened, they have every reason in the world to lie to each other. Um, otherwise, you have no drama. Um, drama means people are lying or keeping secrets or misleading each other. Um, but when we in the audience watch what happened, we have every right to believe that it really happened. So, so most of the man who shot Liberty Valance is flashback. That is, we start with the Stoddards coming back to town for Donovan's funeral, and then we have the window character of the reporter who wants to get the story, who doesn't know what, why Stoddard, this very important person, this senator, this ex-governor, what is he doing back in Shinbone. And he's the window to whom the story is told. Um, but And one of the things we find out then is that what made Stoddard um, who he was, the legend, is that he is the man who shot Liberty Valance. So in this scene, do we have volume? Yes. Oh, oh, Gettysburg, you've heard of Gettysburg. 240 out of the station. The Worcester Peabody's awful hurt. He needs you bad over his office. Oh, what's the matter, Mr. Marshall? Somebody have an accident? So that's it. Another one of your accidents, huh, Balance? I'm looking forward to the day when it's you they'll be calling me for. Pay in advance. <laughs> <laughs> Just one thing to notice, everyone loves throwing things and slamming things in this movie. Um, Donovan most of all, and that actually leads to a wonderful little um, funny moment, but also a deep moment, which I hope we'll have time to look at. If not, I'll just mention it. $10 into the case. Liberty, what you did to Mr. Peabody, ain't that enough? Ain't that enough what, Mr. Marshall? You all know that Rance Stoddard couldn't shoot the head off his own head with a gun right in his hand. Oh, you mean he's got a gun in his hand? I'm calling you. So that's the um, law of the lawless. If he has a gun in his hand, Liberty has just established that. Turns out it's true. He has established it. Um, but what that then means, even though the marshal is going to deny it, what that then means is that um, he's got a right to self-defense. Again, just look at how gorgeous this composition is. I mean, this is typical of Ford, that you have all these figures in this mirror. If you just watch the mirrors in this movie, they're amazing. You have all these figures crowded in the scene, and they're all focused um, on the same thing, even as they're focused on different things. Um, and Ford, Ford really was visually a genius, both in, in um, close-ups, in, in mid, middle shots, that is in close um, quarters, and also in landscape, although the man who shot Liberty Balance isn't really about landscape, it's about interiors. Kings and trade. Good, huh? 
but not good enough. Aces and eights. Do people know about aces and eights? You've never heard that? It's called the dead man's hand. Um, and it's a famous hand in poker. Um, and um, the reason that it's called the dead man's hand is that it's the hand that Wild Bill Hickok had um, just before he was shot. So he had aces and eights was, um, was the hand that he had. Then he was shot, and after that it was always called the dead man's hand. If you, saw, if you watch Deadwood, um, you'll see it in the first season of Deadwood, um, Aces and Eights. Deadwood is great. If you haven't seen it, you should. Thank you. So if he's you happy now. Him down, it'll just be pure murder. So up until now, Lee Marvin in this scene is pretty charming. Then he starts drinking. We cut to Rance, and then when we go back to um, Liberty Valance, he's much more menacing. Um, and it's just worth noticing how that kind of change in his characteristic. Movies have to manage that. Movies, one thing that happens in movies our people are emotionally changing extremely rapidly because a movie has to tell a story very, very quickly. Um, movies, because they can cut back and forth from different locations, allow, one thing that cutting allows for is rapidity of emotional change without our saying, wait a second, you were in a really good mood three seconds ago, why are you so angry now when nothing happened? Um, movies, we rarely ask that question. So he's got a gun in his hand. <coughs> Looks inside at the doctor ministering to Liberty's last victim. Gets determined. He may die, but he's going to do the right thing. Ford, like many of the great directors, began with silent movies and is really good at telling movies silently. Hitchcock um, also. He pulls down a shingle. That is, he's giving up. He's giving up the idea of rule of law. He doesn't come out because he's getting angry and drinking. You all heard him say he had a gun in his hand, didn't you? I didn't say that. That ain't murder, Mr. Marshall. That's a clean-cut case <coughs> of self-defense. You heard him call me out, didn't you, Tin Oin? Well, didn't you? Donald Trump no, hair there. <laughs> I'm slinging you out here. I'd say that was a liberty balance there now. <laughs> Wouldn't you? We've seen you, Mr. So now you see that Stoddard is braver than they are. 
and we get this angle, which is a raking angle along the line established between the two gunfighters, which is standard Don't call Western. The rock and see you. You guys know what's happening right off camera, but they don't. So it's worth remembering that. Because part of what you have to know is how well Donovan understands this code, how it is that Lee Marvin is going to play it, how it is Liberty Balance is going to play it. You got two hands, Ashley. Which is that the first two shots are not going to be fatal. That's three. And then just listen carefully as the shooting occurs. Right between the eyes. All right, dude. This time, right between the eyes. Okay, now, here's a cheat. One cheat is that they don't come running out until Liberty is shot. But they wouldn't know that unless they're peering through the door, but there's no indication that they are. Um, it's just, for us, it's not an issue. This is the real surprise, that Liberty is shot, and so, of course, everyone comes out to see. That's interesting. Um, and the other thing to notice, then, is that we kind of saw two shots, although we don't quite hear two shots because they overlap. But we see Stoddard shooting, you see the flash at his muzzle, and of course we see Liberty shooting as well. And we're not quite sure what's going to happen, but then, surprise. Now let's go to the flashback within a flashback, which is where we get the actual truth. That's John Carradine, who's David and William Carradine's father from Kill Bill. To aspire to such great honors, we are told he's a lawyer <coughs> and a tenured lawyer. A hidden gun beneath his coat, the bullet riddled body of an honest citizen. Honest citizen! Liberty Robs, you call Liberty Robs an honest citizen? Is this your fearless champion of law and order? Mr. Chairman, I tell you, the mark of Cain is on this man. So there's the, the mark, mark of Cain, the murderer, who starts civilization. Him with blood-stained hands to walk the hallowed halls of government, where Washington, 
Just watch the true version. All right. He's going to blow smoke and it's going to bring us into this flashback. Oh, shoot. Gosh darn. Okay. So this is fast. We only get the very end. Pick up the gun. the same, not exactly, but almost exactly the same sound, uh, but now we find out that the second shot that we're hearing that just kind of prolongs the first one is um, Donovan's. That is, the, we know there were two shots, but it turns out that one of them was not um, Liberty Valance's. Okay, question for you, something to think about. What is Pompey doing in that scene? Why is he there with Donovan? And um, that's worth thinking about when you um, realize that Pompey is there at the end of the movie also. Um, but it's really worth considering what Pompey is doing in that scene. Um, why is it the two of them? Okay, have a good break. And um, we have one more class after break. Is dude really a word that they use? Yes. Dude? Yeah. Yeah, dude, dude's an old word, um, and yeah. what it means is um, Easterners who are affecting being Western, so hence Dude Ranch. Is the movie going to be on the final? On, yeah. Oh, okay.